Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 92 of Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I am your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. This episode is part two of my deep dive into Ride the Lightning that I did with Scott Haskin, the host of Haskin Cast, which is what this was recorded for, uh, and he was kind enough to lend me the audio to release here on the Metallicast feed for all of you. Metallicast Militia. So do me a favor, check out the links in the episode description. Give Scott and Haskin Cast a follow, a download, whatever. Just show your support. Check out the links in the episode description and support them the same way that you support this here show. You can find both Haskin Cast and Telecast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, all the usual places. And if you'd be so kind to support Metallicast by following me on social media as well at Metallicast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a positive five-star review in Apple Podcasts. All that goes a long way in helping the podcast continue to grow on our quest for world domination. I want to give a shout-out to Bison, the one-man band who does our intro music. I would say R and we as if there's anybody else who does this show besides me, uh, who does my entrance music, my entrance music, like it's some kind of freaking pro wrestler only in my dreams my intro music oh geez good thing i host a podcast because i'm so great at talking but check out the links in the description uh part one if you missed it it was out last wednesday and scott and i had a great conversation uh, did not yet get into the deep dive of the red lightning album but that happens here in part two we talk about Fight fire with fire and ride the lightning. So, without further ado, here is part two of my deep dive into Ride the Lightning with Mr. Scott Haskins for Haskin Cast. Yeah! Welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, here to finish off my review of Ride... Well, not my review of Ride the Lightning. My review, along with my fantastic guest host, Brandon, from none other than Metallicast. Brandon, how you doing? I am great. Um, really, really enjoyed the conversation part one. And I'm super excited for this second part, Scott, because this is the deep dive right here. It is. It really is. Now, on this show, I don't dig into the entire song. I don't play the whole song because I do not have the band's permission to do that. But I will play a little segment, maybe a couple of segments in the middle of the song, uh, if anything comes up. Uh, but Ride the Lightning, uh, first, I, ha- I have to tell you, I don't think I-, I told you my introduction to Metallica was not even musical. It was seeing people in high school with Master of Puppets t-shirts and Master of Puppets logos on the back of their jean jackets and, you know, those, those uh, big jean jacket size patches that people would sew on. Or oh, yeah. We had a guy in our, our high school that used to paint those. So he did a Ride the Lightning one for somebody in a Master oh, of wow. Puppets. Uh, really, really great detail. Uh, but it, it wasn't even music. It was that. And I started seeing this all over the place. I'm like, who are these guys? So a buddy of mine <laughs> lent me his his Master of Puppets cassette for the night, and I I was in. I, I was absolutely in full force. So I, I got Master of Puppets shortly after that, got Ride the Lightning. It was a little while before I heard Kill 'em All. Uh, but man, just right off the bat, the sound, the energy, the passion, the 
there's just so much to it. It was so different, the writing style than anything that I had ever heard. Uh, just the the growlish but understandable voice of James Hetfield. The drums, of course, were amazing. Um, just drew me in right away. And from that moment on, I was I was in full force. Love it. Love it. Yeah, my, um, you know, not to go too far off topic again, because I want to get to Ride the Lightning. We will today. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, for people who might not be familiar with me or my show, Metallicast, uh, my entry point was later in life um, with the Black Album, because I was like in first grade when the Black Album came out. So that was the, and I had two older brothers who would have MTV on. And I probably was not supposed to be, you know, in the room with MTV on at that age. But I remember seeing the Inter Salmon music video and being like creeped out by the old guy and but like fascinated by this sound I was hearing. And, you know, long story short, got the black album on cassette when I was in elementary school. And I knew nothing about this band other than that album. I thought this was their first album hell it was called metallica <laughs> right, nobody yeah. nobody names their fifth album <laughs> after themselves right that's always their first album so uh once i got into uh, middle school load came out and i was so excited for a new metallica album that was the first compact disc i ever owned i got my cd player and my load album and so after I had my CD player, I remember going to my local record store, shout out to Newberry Comics, if anybody from New England is listening. And um, I like, eh, let me just look under the Metallica section. I went, holy crap, they have, they have four other albums? So I said to myself, which one am I going to bring home that I feel like is going to piss my mom off the most? <laughs> <laughs> so, the one with the sledgehammer and the blood on the front nailed it so <laughs> i brought home kill them all she scolded I, w- I went to the store with my older brother she scolded my older brother for letting me buy as if he cared and then she let me keep it anyways and i listened to it and i said this sounds something like Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> and we talked I, about that in the first episode, the, the big difference in, in both writing and performance quality of from kill them all to everything else they did. Yes. Yes. And so, and I remember holding, you know, it, it's so funny because when people got load, they're like, this does not sound like Metallica. And they look at the back cover and they're wearing suits and smoking cigars and drinking martinis. Everybody's like, what happened to this band? And I had the reverse or I said, I looked at the back cover of Kill Em All. I was like, who are these acne-filled teenagers with greasy hair? What happened to the guy with the suits and the martinis? Um, ignorance is bliss. But I did my education, and I said, I got to get the rest of their albums. And in one day, I got Ride the Lightning, Master Puppets, and Injustice for All, and I binged them all. And uh, love, obviously all the records love those three in particular uh master puppets is my personal favorite metallic album but ride the lightning uh depending on what day you ask me is either number two or three it it is right up there with i think their best work what would be the third in that uh in that triplet i would put the black album just because i have a soft spot for that record because that was my entry point and you know when i look at uh even though i think so many of those songs now are 
overplayed. I mean, I, 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 I listened to that album over and over and over again. I, I mean, for years, I thought it was her only album. So uh, I, I listened to that cassette like over and over and over again on my Walkman and wherever else. And, uh, and, and, you know, you, it's rare that you have an album like that. There's only a handful of albums like that, that have so many iconic songs on one album. And, you know, it, it just, there's a reason it still sells like a few thousand copies a week. And it's always like in and out of the billboard 200 and setting all these records, you know, because it is a very special album. And um, so that, that would round out my top three. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think those are, are the same for me. Um, and you know, it's funny, like I see on Twitter all the time, the little bit of time I spend on there, people are always debating, you know, what's the best song and what's the best album. And, you know, it's so much of it is personal experience. Like, a lot of people say the Black Album was a, their most commercial or the beginning of their commercial sound. And so they'll hate it because they are diehard Metallica fans and only like the fast songs and, you know, that kind of thing. And people argue about this stuff all the time. I remember seeing one person had posted, I don't remember when it was, it was a while ago, but they're like, I really love this song because it reminds me of this time that I went fishing with my dad and we, you know, we caught like this six inch fish and it was the biggest fish I ever caught. And we, you know, we get into the car and this song was playing on the radio and somebody else will come in and go, no, you should listen to this other song because it's better. Like, don't you understand? <laughs> like, it's it's not about what song is better and, it's on, subjective. What, and on what level. <laughs> yeah, it's about the experience that that person had, why that song yeah. means something. It's, it's thinking about sitting in the boat and, you know, oh, they, they get back in the car and they're all excited to get home with this fish and show it to his mom and cook it for dinner or, or a snack because it's a, not a really big fish. And, yeah. you know, it, it, that's what makes that connection for people. And when people say, this is my favorite album, this is my favorite song, it's not even all the time about the music. It's about what that song means to them in their life. So I find so many of those conversations are just so pointless because they you can't get into somebody's nostalgia. I have found as an adult that I will go back to certain artists or certain albums or certain songs at certain points of the year <laughs> because and i'm like why am i going back to this now and i think back to my childhood that was when the album came out or i have this memory of you know hearing it for the first time with this friend or with a family member or you know whatever so like my memories drive what i listen to throughout an entire calendar year not and i'm not saying i do not listen to new stuff but you know it, it there's so all that old stuff that i grew up with i still listen to and it and it's almost always dictated by my earliest memory of it mm -hmm. yeah when, when i think of uh genesis by abacab i think about a very humid summer day watching mtv on the big console set in the front room because they were that was in heavy rotation that summer on MTV. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, the, the weather, weather and smells are really big triggers for things uh, I've noticed. But uh, yeah, I mean, those memories are are so individual that to me, just I'm just happy people are connecting to something, you know, especially something musically or artistically in any way. Um, I think that's the most important thing. Well, you know what, Scott? I think your memories are wrong. Well, they are. Because they're not yours. <laughs> and, and since you weren't, weren't a fan of Metallica from the beginning, you're not a real fan. 
Obviously. <laughs> you know, you couldn't possibly obviously. be. You know, how obviously. dare you not be born before uh, Kill 'em All came out? You know, one day I'm going to build a time machine and fix all that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, as long as you make my timeline better, that'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about Ride the Lightning. First of all, the production on this album is amazing. I, I, I cannot, from any engineering standpoint, say there's anything I would change about this album. I can hear everything with clarity. I can hear the bass. I can hear the lead. I can hear the rhythm guitar. The solos cut right through the harmonies, the drums. Everything is 100% there for me. There is a, it's kind of funny to me to use this word for an album that sounds so aggressive and so ferocious, but it, it's kind of a warm sounding album. Like there's a warmness to how the tones and how it's produced. And, you know, I, I said in part one, um, I believe it was the guitarist of Crip Sermon, who I, a great doom metal band out of Philadelphia that were, was a guest on my show. You know, he said the album sounds like how the cover looks. And when you look at the color scheme and the imagery, again, I know that sounds vague, but it made perfect sense to me. And I think that ties in with, you know, the kind of warm colors kind of, it, it just ties into me with like the, the feel of the album, the tones that are used and the overall production. Right. I often wonder too, with, with bands like this, do they, does the artist hear any of the music while they're coming up with the concept? Do they get an idea of what that album's really going to be that they're, because they're the ones that are giving you the visual representation, right? You walk into the record store, you see the lightning around the floating electric chair and you go, whoa, what is that? I have to wonder, did the artist, did they get to hear the song? Did they say, hey, there's a song called Ride the Lightning, which is about this electric chair. That's what we're going to call the album. Maybe do something with that. Like, how much of that do they get? I know my graphic artist, she wants to hear samples of the songs before she starts working on the concept because she wants to get an idea of what that album really is to figure out how to represent it. But a lot of that, their time turn times are so fast. They're given, you know, intense production schedules and they have to have, you know, certain ideas in by this date because they have to be approved because these are things that are going to be produced in in the millions. And it right. takes time to do that. They have a set release date. Uh, there's so much more to it at that level. But I'm always yeah. curious how that, you know, how that works. I'm willing to bet it changes from situation to situation. But I know um, I asked this question actually to. Uh, once in a while, I get to do some contributing work for a website out of the UK called metaltalk.net. And I did um, a great interview uh, with Alex Webster, who is the basis of Cannibal Corpse. And uh, in, for, you know, if you do not know, and I know this is shocking, Cannibal Corpse is a death metal band. And their album covers have been a bit controversial over the years because. You know, they they really tap into the horror elements and are the, the covers are just super violent. And um I and I but I asked them because they've had the same artists do every album cover throughout their career. And there's so many now that are have been, you know, that are iconic because they've been banned from Walmart <laughs> and Kmart and all right. those old stores, you know. Um it, so I asked me, you know, like where does the concept of these album covers come from and he said a lot of times we tell them the you know what we want to name the album which is usually you know 
after one of the songs and he just has the freedom to run away with it. And once in a while, maybe we'll, you know, put our two cents here or there, but ultimately it's like his creation from his brain based on just a title. And I have a feeling that is probably the case more often than not, because of like you said, bands need to get things out there. There's, you know, there's deadlines and this and that. And I would not be surprised if I know that James Hetfield is a artistic person. He, he designed the Metallica logo. He, he's done some other design stuff and he's even a lot of their um, t-shirt work by other artists has been, you know, artists that he sort of have stumbled upon or have appreciated. So I, I would not be surprised somebody like him maybe had, you know, a general vision for some of these, but I think, you know, ultimately the artist has the Liberty to be like, here you go. And I'm sure very, and, and it's probably done in a shockingly short amount of time right. <laughs> when all yeah. is said and done. But this is a beautiful album cover. I mean, the the quality of it, the clarity of it. Uh, I do love the color that that blue with you know yeah. going against the the bright lightning. Uh, it's it's just done with such incredible detail. Uh, I, and obviously, I mean, it's it's based on the song "Ride the Lightning," where I would say "Master of Puppets" is probably based on the song "Disposable Heroes." I think it's a combination. Master of Puppets is interesting because I think they take cues from a few different songs because you have. You know, the hands above that are obviously, you know, the puppet hands, the the puppeteer hands. Um, and then you have, you know, the military crosses, which is more of a throwback to disposable heroes. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like Ride the Lightning and Injustice for All are really focused on those individual tracks, right? And uh, whereas Master Puppets is a little bit more open-ended. But Ride the Lightning... I mean, as iconic as those first five album covers, I think, are for the band, Ride the Lightning is arguably the most iconic because it's just, I think, the most simple out of all of them. Um, and not simple in a bad way, simple in an iconic way. It's just, boom, electric chair floating in the sky. It, it, it immediately stands out to you. Whereas, you know, Master Puppets, it, it's iconic. Love the album cover. But it leads your eyes in a few different directions. As you you can it you can, it's one of those album covers you can stare at while you listen to the music and kind of pick apart a bit more. Whereas, ride the lightning is just boom right there in front of you in all its glory. And it definitely screams, "This is a metal album." You know, there's there's just yeah, there, yeah, it, yeah. it's so hard edged. But when I look at an album cover like "Kill 'Em All," which almost seems like an afterthought, I, I don't like the cover of that album. That could be punk. That could be, you know, a lot of different Hardcore, things. Hardcore, whatever. Yeah, yeah, you know, some some kind of like underground, like a slaughter or something, you know. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily scream metal to me the way that Ride the Lightning or Master of Puppets does. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I mean, even just the, you know, the logos, the first time like they kind of do the Metallica 3D logo, and it, it just s- seems like it's going to be a more epic experience you know which when you listen to the album compared to kill them all sonically and pretty songwriting wise pretty much every way it is a more epic album 
Yeah, I agree. Well, I, I'm going to play the beginning of uh, Fight Fire with Fire, which is the opening track on the album. Uh, one of my favorites. I, I have a lot of nostalgic memory associated with with this song. And, and the reason I wanted to do this episode in the summertime is because this is a summer album for me. Um, Master of Puppets is kind of a winter album because that's when I got into it. Ride the Lightning, I got. I listened to it a few times. Uh, really love Fade to Black, but I didn't actually start listening to the album on the whole until that summer. And so I remember it was just god-awful hot and humid in Michigan. And I would go to, uh, we had kind of like a Costco back in Michigan. It was Pace. I can't remember who owned that. Uh, It might have been Dalton Bookstores or Walmart. I can't remember. But in any case, like I would go with my parents and I would listen to Fight Fire with Fire on the way. And all the time, the whole time I'm in the store, I'm just tapping my my thumbs on the shopping cart, you know, and, and they're like, stop it, stop it, stop it, <laughs> you know. So this is this is very much a summer album for me. So while I'm sweltering in the Vegas heat, that just suits this perfectly for me. Nice. Excellent. Uh, so here's the opening to Fight Fire with Fire. So here's my question for you. Obviously, yes. th- there's some some Bach influence there. Um, thinking about people who were huge fans of Kill 'Em All, they waited and waited and waited for the next Metallica album to come out. They're like, "Oh, sweet! Look at this album covers, man! This kicks ass!" And they put the record on, and that's the first thing they hear. That would have to be a little off-putting for somebody coming from Kill 'Em All into this album, I would think. Really unexpected. That is always what I think every single time I hear that opening track, because as I said in part one, there's this huge musical growth between Kill 'Em All and Ride the Lightning. And this is a perfect example of it, right? I I said in part one, the songs become more diversified. Here you go. It, It is, you know, like you were saying, if you're expecting, you know, Metal Militia part two, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer for because of that, uh, dare I say, beautiful classical introduction before all hell breaks loose. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and super clean recording. I mean, you can hear the most minute yeah. notes in there. Uh, the bass is kind of subtle. I like that the bass is a little bit more laid back in there. And, and he's really just kind of letting the, the lead guitars do their thing. Uh, but I think it just sounds amazing. But I've always thought that like you, you, Metal Militia is a perfect example because I think that song really sums up Kill 'Em All in a lot of ways. Yeah. Just hard driving, full force. You know, uh, James sounds really young. His voice is completely different on this album. You know, so when yeah. when you start hearing his voice, you're like, wow, did they get a different singer? He's he doesn't sound like a kid anymore. You know, he's really refined all a, now. All of a sudden. I feel like he sounds like James Hatfield as we've known him yeah. for the last 40 years. You know, when you listen to Kill 'Em All, you're like, wait, is is that 
if you did not know better, you would have every right to guess at points. Is this a different singer? Is this somebody else in the band singing? Like, what is like very much higher pitch, right? And 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 just not as uh controlled, yeah, as a vocalist. And here he's very focused, he has that signature Heffield's bark, and it 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 but you can say about the rest of the album too, you know, it's just a lot more focus and controlled and you know what i and i will say this about the introduction i i i've got to believe it was intentional mm-hmm. this is you you remember kill em all well this is a new metallica in a lot of ways and when you listen to those first when the whole well the whole album especially those first four tracks not to jump too far ahead it it is a very diverse much much different musical experience than the anything you hear on kill em all oh absolutely i mean i think that four horsemen was a pretty advanced song probably probably one of the more advanced on that album it had a sure, lot I of agree. big changes on that but I, I, and that's that's a great song but i don't think any of that compares to what they brought on this album you know from like you said just that advancement in writing and performance standpoint uh, but I love the clarity of this. I love the production on this. It's just a beautiful recording. And it does seem weird to say beautiful when we're talking about this style of music. But <laughs> I mean, we're really talking more about classical right now. So I think that's a, that's a fine word to use. You wouldn't say that's a pretty metal riff. <laughs> well, you know, and it, it's like the perfect juxtaposition to what happens immediately after that introduction, you know. And, you know, I, I think... Um, I got to think a band like System of Down must have been influenced by this, where it's like, we listen to System of Down, it's like these brutal riffs with sometimes like death metal blast beats behind it. And then in a split second, they go into this like beautiful melody, right? And they can switch like that. Not that this is as sudden of a switch, but if you're listening to this for the first time, it is where you have this classical guitar and then it just builds up into this ferociously aggressive thrash riff. Exactly. No, System of a Down is a, is a great example of that, too. I always thought of this as like the calm before the storm. You know, you're just out taking yeah. a walk, you're having a nice day, and you look up at the sky and you see this giant meteor headed right for you. so for for those people who were uh, huge fans of kill em all and spent the last 36 seconds wondering what the hell was going on they didn't have to wait long to find out that everything was going to be okay because here's what happens next They're fine. (laughs) (laughs) I I love the depth of sound. I mean, he's it just sounds like the it you're surrounded by that that huge distorted guitar, and then the the rhythm guitar just thickening it up a little bit more. That snare it just cracks your skull in half. Yeah, I mean, this is classic Metallica right here, right? When when if you want to play somebody 
a great Metallica sounding riff. This is a great one to throw at them. And, you know, it, it hits you over the head and it does not let up for the rest of the song. And, you know, you, this, if, if you were a fan of kill them all, and you hear this riff, you're like, okay, they're still fast. They are still thrash metal, but a big difference in this song compared to most things on kill them all is how concise this song is. And, you know, it, they are able to take you on this journey with these twists and turns while still following, you know, this first chorus pop music format. And I think this is one of the earliest times they're really able to do so in a way that they truly nail it. Yeah, I would agree with that. And it's nice because it's kind of an intricate riff, too. You know, I feel like a lot of yeah. stuff on, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing Kill 'Em All because I love that album. Yeah, but me it's, too. But there's definitely a youth to it, as we talked about in the first part. Sure. Uh, this is a much more adult riff. This is something that someone yeah. with experience playing guitar and writing has come up with. And and I love the depth of it. It doesn't feel like it it is. I mean, it feels like it's very simple, but when you really start to pick it apart, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, I feel like, you know, when you think of James Hetfield now as a guitarist, one of, if not the greatest rhythm guitarists and those signature down picks, like this is classic Hetfield's rhythm playing right here, you know, and it, it is more complex. It is. And I'll use those same words I used before more contained, more focus. And that just adds to the ferocity of it all because it is, Instead of sounding like uh, a train that can go off the rails at any point, it because it has kind of this like raw, loose punk rock energy, it sounds like it's a train going a million miles per hour right at you, and you're going to die if you do not get out of the way. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But you also feel like you can trust these guys to keep the train on the tracks as yeah. fast as they're going, as wild as this ride is going to be, like, I feel even at this point, these guys know what they're doing and I can take this journey with them. Yeah. And, and I think it's a big, you know, this is the type of album and this type of riff that starts separating Metallica from the rest of the pack. And, you know, when you look at every, everybody talks about, you know, Metallica being the biggest band from, you know, this genre of music because, you know, they went more mainstream here and there. But I, I, I think a large part of it is actually because they pushed things farther than everybody else in a way that made it more perhaps accessible at times, but more easy to digest and this is not like a, a song that you're going to be easy to digest in the sense of like you're going to hear it on the radio and sing along to it but easy to easy to digest because there is that trust and there is that um complexity and refinement that i just think was lacking from a lot of bands and who was doing the same type of music at least in 1984 when this comes out yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I think too that, you know, I, I mean, you don't think about this looking ahead because when you're this young, you're playing and writing whatever you feel like playing and writing. 
But as you get older, I mean, think about it now. What they're in their mid mid fifties, maybe nowadays. Yeah. Okay. Mid late fifties. So at mid fifties, are you going to be writing "Fight Fire with Fire" to open your album now and thinking, "All right, we're going to go on stage and play this song for another twenty years"? Probably not. I mean, your your body starts yeah. to slow down a little bit. You're going to start doing things that are. I don't want to say more intelligent because because I think there's a lot of intelligence in this writing, but you're going to be looking at things from a different perspective because you're going to be going, okay, is this a song that we can play live? Where can we put it in the set where it's going to fit, but it's also going to be you know, good for us to be doing that song at that point in the show? You can't right. just come out and play a thousand miles an hour. It, it has to stop at some point. So it's it's only natural that you would have that metamorphosis even if you don't intend it or don't realize it, it's just going to happen naturally. But it, but for people to think, yeah, they're they're not being metal or they're not being diehard anymore because they're not writing, you know, thousand mile an hour songs, it just it just isn't realistic in life that you would do that. Well, if you look if you look at just the big four, right? Let's just stick to the big four: thrash metal, Metallica, Megadeth, Anthrax, Slayer. Three of those big four bands. Uh, had moments of the career where they took different risk, became more melodic, more mainstream, more accessible, however you want to word it, with Slayer really being the holdouts. Slayer did Slayer. You liked it or you didn't. And I respect that. Um, but I got to imagine that's one of the contributing factors as to why Slayer is the only big four band, not a band right now. Mm. Yeah, that's you an know? excellent point. That's a that's an excellent point. Another thing too about this song that I find fascinating is the amount of harmony in it. Especially when you get into the solo section, there's just it, it just goes on an amazing journey that you didn't get on Kill 'Em All. And and again, I, I have to think that's the difference between Kirk and Cliff not being primary writers on Kill 'Em All, because this album is as heavy as it is, it's very melodic. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, on Kill 'em All, you have those extended guitar solos that are more shred oriented. And, you know, Kirk Hammond obviously can play the guitar fast. But really, when you break down his playing, he's a melodic player. He's more rooted in, he, he'd rather play a, a solo that you can sing along to than play a million notes per hour all the time. And um, now, you know, as I said, part one with Cliff Burton being a bigger part of the band, he has music theory to introduce these guys to more melody, to harmony, to, you know, counterpoint and things like that. So now it's, they're constructing these guitar harmonies that just, take their playing in their songwriting to another level. And, you know, this was something that, like you said, a kill them all was really lacking, but has become a staple in Metallica. You know, I think it would say anger came out. People were angry for a variety of reasons, including that there were no guitar solos on the album. It, to be honest, the thing I missed more than the, than if there's one thing, I missed on that album. It was guitar harmonies because I'm sucker for guitar harmony, you know? And uh, I, I think that's such a, I, I just love it as a fan of music. And, you know, and this is really the one of the first times 
on a metallic album that they introduce it which is kind of funny to think of because it's such a signature part of their overall sound yeah it, it really is surprising because i mean when you're when you're listening to a song you can be doing other things you know you can even be having a conversation with somebody and then when it's time for the solo hey, hey shut up kurt's about to do something <laughs> you know like you really want right yeah, yeah, yeah you really want to focus on it because he's so damn good and yeah. and you're right i don't i'm not a big fan of shred guitarists i just I find a lot of times, I've said this a lot on my podcast, is that it really, to me, if you're not playing within the song, you're just you're just disconnected from the song. And it's hard for me to listen to that because I grew up on guys like Kurt Hammack, uh, Kurt Hammack Richie Blackmore, Michael Schenker, guys that knew how to play, Mick Box from Your I Heap. Yeah. Um, you know, guys who knew how to take the song and make their solo part of the song. And I've heard so many guys from like the 80s forward, especially where they just want to play as fast as they can. Ingve yeah. is a great example. Like he knows what he could do to play within the song. And then he adds like 10 more notes for every note that he should have played. And a lot of times he loses me in that. Like I like his ideas, but I think he just takes them too far. And to me, that just takes me out of the song. It's not that you yeah. can't play fast because Kirk certainly proves that. He, he proves that you can play fast and still be within that song and not lose me. I agree. I mean, one of my, if not my absolute favorite Kirk Hammett solo is from The Unforgiven. Mm -hmm. And that is not at all a shred fest. Right. It is just a very well-constructed melodic guitar solo. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you know, overly complex. It's not fancy but it serves the song. It's memorable. It's a great performance. It just gets the job done. And it just on the most recent Metallica episode, I was talking about this with my guests because we were talking about portals, which is the uh, EP Kirk Hammond just came out. It's his first solo release and it has four tracks on it. And not one of the tracks is, they're all instrumental. Not one of the tracks is a, a shred fest. It's all based around the song. It, it, it's it, he basically constructed his own mini film score for four tracks, and it has a. It's filled with melody. It's filled with you know orchestral arrangements and and this and that. But it it's not what you would necessarily expect from you know, uh, a metal guitarist releasing their first solo album. You expect, especially when you hear it's all instrumental, you expect it to be, you know, Metallica part two, like leftover Metallica tracks or, you know, oh, I'll just, I, you, you missed the souls in St. Anger. I'm going to play a million notes a minute. You know, <laughs> yeah, it, you, would, like, you would think it would be a guitar player's album as opposed right, to a com right. like compositions. Right. And it is guitar heavy, obviously, because sure. he's a guitarist composing the songs. But it's but it's much different in sound and feel than what you might expect. But it, knowing Kirk Hammond and how he is as a musician in 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 a lot of what he does in Metallica playing wise, it's not really surprising. But I think you know for people who might assume otherwise about the genre or the player or what have you, I think it would be surprising. I, I will have to definitely check that out. I heard that he was working on it. I hadn't heard it came out yet. So that's that's on my immediate to-do list. <laughs> yeah, uh, listen to it and let me know what you think. I think you'll really enjoy will it. Will do. One other thing I want to point out about this song that I think is pretty amazing is there's a point where, like, now you mentioned in the beginning when we first started on the song, 
that it is relentless and it absolutely is. Yet there's a point where this song allows you to breathe without losing the pace. So coming out of the solo, it just, you know, they just hit the chord and yeah. you got double bass drums going. They're letting you breathe, but yet the tempo, the pace, the intensity is still there. That's one of the most magical things I've ever heard done in a song. Yeah, it's it it is really unique. They do something similar in Battery too, a Master Puppets. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it, which is funny because in part one we we're saying you know Master Puppets borrows from that blueprint, right? But it's like you know Battery has the uh, more classical acoustic introduction built into a thrash song has that little like breather in the middle that's not like really a breather but it works as one you know and uh but it neither song really lets up right they're both ferocious to from beginning to end uh but yeah that's a it's really clever and it really shows i think it, it's a very subtle thing but i think it shows their sophistication as you know songwriters and you that's like to me you understand your genre you understand what you're doing yeah very much so i that's that's a very astute point i would agree with that our our next song on this one is the title track called ride the lightning love how heavy that riff is yeah it's just amazing that to me is like the classic metallica i call it like the chunk mm-hmm. like you just bam to damp like as soon as you hear it you know it's them but you know when i when i think of chunky i tend to think of like notes that you hear start and stop you know jit 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 like that but this it it's chunky but it's smooth at the same time you know it, it sure. just it doesn't it doesn't have those breakup spots, but you could feel each time he hits those strings. It's really very well. And that's such a signature sound of theirs. But I, I yeah. really like that because it, it most people would just go jet, 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 jet and, and just keep that going. But they found a way to to just connect it all and make it very smooth. Yeah. And, and I like sort of the, there's that slight change in feel there, you know, with the drums and stuff. And it's, I think one of their, earlier examples of kind of working within a single riff you know like they they if you take a look at a song like inter sam and the whole song's based around one riff which i think is probably their most extreme example of it but there's so many times where they you know have this riff idea then they're just kind of able to change it up slightly enough to to make it sound different but when you realistically you're like it's the same thing just they take out a note or you know they add a note or the 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 drum beat changes or what have you, but it's the, it's really clever with how they do it. And, you know, to your point about it sounding smooth, you're absolutely right. And one of the things I love about this band is if you ever want to hear, if you're, if you're a songwriter and you need to know, uh, if you want to learn how to transition from an A section to a B section or whatever in a song, Metallica is a masterclass at transitions. I mean, they just, they 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 nail it every time it's just 
like these flawless, very clever transitions to points, even when it's like a two drastically different parts of the song. Like if I fire, we hear the acoustic intro into, you know, the beginning, or, you know, if you fast forward to master puppets and they go into that interlude, it's just flawless all the time. And it's just really well done. And I think, you know, this song ride the lightning be an example of it. I would, I would absolutely agree. And, and it feels like if you, if you equate it to, you know, to being on the bus of this album, I never feel like somebody slammed on the brakes to make a hard right turn. You know, I feel like we yeah. we're just on this road and it's going to have some curves and bumps, but they're, they're not ones that jolt me awake. You know, uh, I, yeah. I never feel like, whoa, what the hell just happened there? You know, it's like, wow, okay, now we're doing this more than anything else. And I think Fight Fire with Fire into Ride the Lightning is just such a great, I'm not, it, it might be the greatest like one, two punch to start a metal album. And I remember, you know, my first time hearing it, they really bleed into each other, the tracks. And usually with metallic albums, there's a definite end and then the next track starts. But the when you listen to this record, you have like that explosion at the end of Fight Fire with Fire. <laughs> Then immediately, and it's like just boom right into it, and it's just I, I I love that. It might be the greatest one-two punch to start a metal album in history. Yeah, that's a great point because it, it really does do that. It almost feels like the song actually didn't end, and we're just into another section of it. You yeah, know? and I remember uh, on on the album, uh, it seemed like there was a little bit more space on the cassette than there was on the album. Cause I, I started with getting all the cassettes. Then I saw the picture disc, like, well, I got to have the picture disc, you yeah. know? So that was the next purchase. <laughs> but the difference was the spacing between the tracks. And I remember, I, th- I think it was on the cassette. It seemed like it was a little bit longer before ride the lightning started because of the way that it was, the master was done versus the album, which was almost right away. Like as soon as that explosion is fading out, boom, you've got the guitars coming in. But that's another thing I think that makes that second part heavy is because in the beginning, you've got that melodic guitar. And then when they go into the main riff, you don't have that melody. So all of a sudden everything sounds heavier because you're not counterbalancing it with any kind of harmony. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that and then the, with the drums coming in, hitting the kick and the toms like that, it's just so powerful, you know. And one of their earlier examples lyrically too of kind of more social commentary, you know, uh, when you look at "Kill 'Em All," the lyrics were really, uh, you know, about being young and dumb in a rock and roll band, or they kind of went more towards. I think it's the one album they can be guilty of kind of following more heavy metal cliches, you know, whether, and, um, cause I mean, they're what, 17, 18, 19 years old writing their songs. Um, and it, and at times it shows, you know, it's so be it, but this album, they start going more into, um, I think, you know, with a track like this more into social commentary, which, you know, a couple albums later with injustice for all, they go full, Oh, full board into you know absolutely and and thinking of the lyrics of this song it kind of reminds me of a novel called the chamber by john grisham where uh you know we, we we tend to think of criminals being punished and well you know they deserve it or you know they killed somebody or they did this or that so they're being punished this novel actually makes you feel for the person that's about to go into the gas chamber because he describes in great detail what happens to that person so you're thinking about yeah the person committed this crime but man, that's just, 
what a horrible thing to do to somebody to put them through this, you know, and you start actually empathizing a little bit with the criminal because of what you know is about to happen to them. I kind of feel the same way with this. You you see what's happening to the person in the electric chair. We don't really get a sense of what he's done to be there. We just understand, yeah. okay, he's been convicted of something, you know, so he's, he's yeah. been a bad guy. But we're really getting this from his perspective of, oh my God, this is about to happen to me. This is going to hurt. This is going to suck. And you start to feel for him. You kind of hope that there's a stay of execution in here somewhere because you kind of don't want it to happen to the guy. Yeah. And... You know, and I think, too, when you listen to the beginning lyrics, it, it seems like you're it, it It really comes across as like the the thoughts of a man in that position. Um, and and it, I think to back that up is because th- there's no real rhyme scheme at the beginning of the song. You know, like you, you expect the lyrics to like rhyme every line or rhyme every other line. But guilty is charged. But Damon ain't right. There's someone else controlling me. Death in the air strapped in the electric chair. This can't be happening to me. It's like they're rhyming me with me. Right. Who made you got to say, I'll take your life from you. And then it goes into the chorus. Like there's no, it, it just seems more like the almost, even though it seems focused and there and, and has a flow to it, it seems like kind of more like the rambling thoughts of a man in this position. Yeah. With the, you could feel his terror, you know, yeah. even, even though it's being sung, you, you really feel the, the sense of fear that this guy has and I think that's one of the things that really draws me into the song. I love that we went from a thousand miles an hour to a mid-tempo song so smoothly. Yeah. You know, that was a great transition. But I really, I really feel the story in this one. I from the first time I heard it, especially that that line, Who made you God to say I'll take your life from you? That always sends a shiver down my spine because that is such a powerful line. And you realize how insignificant and helpless this person really is in the situation. Yeah. And I think, too, this is a great example after the verse. They go into the chorus, and it's like a very well-defined chorus of the song. And, you know, when you look at um, some other Metallica tracks, that's not necessarily always the case, right? Especially if you look at, you know, Kill 'Em All, like the Four Horsemen, Sando track, I think, on that album. There's no necessarily, like, well-defined chorus per se in that song but like ride the lightning is an earlier example of having like a very singable defined chorus yeah i i definitely agree i i think and it's it's really comfortable you know it's it's not lyrically intensive but it makes a really good point at the same time and sometimes yeah less is better like this song with with the lyrics this song really breathes a lot there's a lot of instrumental sections a lot of spacing in the vocals almost like the guy's just just trying to gather his thoughts and, and just even think something coherent in the midst of all this fear. Agreed. And it should be noted too, since you mentioned um, it reminded you of the, uh, of the novel, it, the, the name of the song is taken from a novel, actually the stand by Stephen King. Oh, there's really? a, there's a line in the book that references uh, ride the lightning. And that's where they borrowed it from. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I have not read the stand. I've seen the mini series, but I, that was one I didn't read. I tend to, if I already know how the story ends, I tend to not want to read the book. I'd rather read Especially, something I don't know. That's a lot of time to invest. Can I say too, um, I've never finished The Stand. It's a very intensive <laughs> It really <book>. is. <laughs> There's a, you know, it's, it's very, um, it's very wordy. It's very wordy. 
and you know, I, which I, I which it, I recognize sounds like a dumb thing to say about a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, it's Stephen King. This is a guy that will take twenty pages yeah. to turn a doorknob because yeah, as you reach yes. for the doorknob, you remember something that happened to you when you were six years old, and now you're going to go into yeah. a whole story about that. I love yeah. Stephen King. I think he's a brilliant writer. I've read a lot of his books, but I will say he he could be edited a little more. I think sometimes yeah. those stories yeah, just yeah. go into a lot that they don't really need to. Yeah. And I say that as an author who's going through being edited by my editor, where she's cutting out huge sections going, you don't need this. So <laughs> I, I can empathize. Uh, so our next track is uh, is one of my favorites. And if you guys have ever seen the video uh, Cliff Amal that came out, I think it was uh, it was shortly after Master of Puppets or, or sometime it was I, it was after Cliff died, I think, when the when the video actually came out. Um, and this was where I started to think Metallica is really cool because they're pricing their own products. They're not letting anybody else say, <laughs> here's how much we're going to charge for this. They're like, they just write yeah. on the artwork of the box. Here's what you're going to pay for this. So you can't, yeah. you can't be a retailer going, now we're going to charge $29.99. Nope. <laughs> it says right on there. Um, and I, there is a really wonderful live version of this song from a, a huge outdoor festival that they played. And I'm, I'm looking at this going, this is a huge crowd. These kids are young. You know, I'm sure that they were, they were used to playing like dive bars and, you know, maybe a couple hundred people. And now that they're, that they've made it, you know, they've arrived, they're doing these 80,000 people festivals. And I can't imagine what that must have been like for them to just even get that first festival gig and walk out there and go, oh my God, there's not 20 people here. There's 80,000 people here. And we're still going to play just as professionally and just as amazing as we do every other night. Well, that festival is uh, Day on the Green, 1985. And uh, I have a whole episode dedicated to that show. And I have, I've, I've written an article for middletalk.net all about that show. It is a, a historic show. And a large part of why it is historic is because of the Cliff Amal VHS. Um, and it, it is some of the best recorded footage of Cliff Burden. Because from that era, you know, when the band was young, it's mostly all bootleg footage which means some of it is good quality some of it's okay quality some of it's god awful quality um that this was footage shot uh, some of it was shot professionally to be used for like mtv or whatever like in little clips you know um some of it uh was not shot professionally but it was shot like right up front and a lot of it is taken from the side of the stage that cliff was based in and so you have all this great up close footage of him playing the bass and it's really clear footage, really clear audio. And from the bell tools being a shining example of this, because, you know, you have lead bass <laughs> in the, in the yeah. introduction, which so many metal bands can claim, you know, they have lead bass in a song. Um, and it's just an iconic show with an iconic bassist playing an iconic part to this day it is a staple to the live show. Like if, if they go a show and they do not play bells, you, it is surprising and you know, they're going to play it the next night because there, there's no way they're going two shows in a row without playing. It's just, it's just one of those standards for them. Now it's, 
It, it's just an absolute classic. And, you know, I think this musically pushes the band into uh, a, another unique spot that they did not do before because you, you're kind of like progressively slowing things down <laughs> instead of going faster and faster and trying to outdo the speed of fight fire with fire you're you're now going dun 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 you know it, and it never really picks up much from there and what i love about from the bell tolls too just to add on to that is it, there it, it if fight fire with fire was relentless for the bell tools is not there's so much room to breathe in that song. And it's one of the earlier examples where I feel like the music almost takes the back seat to the to the vocals and the and the lyrics of the song. It, it's really one of the earlier examples of Hatfield taking center stage as a singer. Oh, that's that's a great observation. I will say I've always felt it was a very patient song. And for any of you guys who are musicians, you know that when you get on stage, you tend to play faster. It's just the way it is. And if you're a band that's playing yeah. a lot of thousand miles an hour songs, or at least a lot of upper tempo songs, it's really hard to dial it back to play a song like this. And I remember when they did this at Monsters of Rock, um, I saw that show in Denver. It was the first time I saw Metallica live, and I was blown away by how how controlled they were with this song. Yeah, you know, because they, I think, I think they did. I, I, I don't remember the exact order, but I want to say they did it shortly after Battery. And uh, I, I'm like, how do you go from that, and then just like, all right, we're gonna step back now, and we're gonna play it the same way the whole song. We're not gonna get all excited and speed it up. We're actually going to stay on that tempo the whole song. I, I was just blown away by how and, controlled they were. And this is a song that I think really the the tempo makes or breaks it, right? You you this is not a song that you can slow way down because then it's gonna become like too monotonous almost. And it's not a song that is gonna work at a faster tempo you can't go you need to it gets rid of all the feel all the grooves to it it reminds me a lot of like sad but true later right like sad but true has to be at the perfect um tempo for that like groove to work and it's similar in that way and so i think you know if there's any song play guys play whiplash as fast as you want on stage (laughs) that that is the song do that but i think they recognize you know this is a song that we really need to like lock down you know yeah and 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 perhaps it's that's part of the reason why bass plays such a big part of it that being such a you know having one part of the rhythm section really kind of leading the charge there you know Mm mm-hmm and and that reminded me actually of uh, like the Misfits. I don't. I love the Misfits. I'm a huge fan of them. Thank you, Metallica, because you introduced me to them. Same. But <laughs> but I don't like their live albums because every song, no matter how slow it is in the studio, when they started off, it's one two three four, and they just like jam it out like every song needs to be really fast. And, and I'm like, yeah, you're not letting your own music breathe. And if I was there. Yeah. Maybe I wouldn't care. Like maybe I would just be into it in the moment with everybody around me jumping around. But listening to it at home, it just I don't I, I want to hear the feel of those songs. I don't want you to just race through it just to get that song off your set list for the night. 
And that's yeah, kind of like what right. I feel that they do, but that's punk music. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, there are some tempo exists for a reason. <laughs> Chosen tempo and, is very important for, yeah, for a song. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and, and there are plenty of songs where you can play around with it a little bit, you know, but like to your point, like my favorite misfit songs are the ones that do not go a million miles per hour. You know, it, like I, I can appreciate um a song like mummy can i go out and kill tonight but that's not going to make my top 10 favorite misfit songs i like the more like because to me it's cooler to have like a a poppier song with the 50s feel with these dark twisted lyrics over it like that to me is more appealing than dark twisted lyrics over like that's more expected you yeah, know and, yeah. and so i think for you know certain things you got to just take a step back and let it breathe. And I think for whom the bell tolls is one of those examples. I would be curious if, if when they were first putting the song together, if it was at this tempo or if they eventually found this tempo, you know, like if they said, if they were trying to make it a hard driving song and then at some point somebody went, wait a minute, let's do this at half speed and see how it sounds. Right. You know, yeah. That happens a lot. Bands write songs and then they change them in this in the writing process or sometimes they've written a song and then they'll go into the studio and the producer will be like wait a minute let's try something you know i i really wonder with this one because that tempo is so perfect i i wonder if it was written a little faster and slowed down by somebody uh, or not definitely but you definitely are hearing now the influence of burden and to a lesser extent on this track, Hammond, I think, in in the in the in the songwriting, you know, it's yeah, I mean you have lead bass as a basis. I I <laughs> I I love that. You know, this was one of the I remember being in high school learning this bass part because it's like if you're I cannot be a Metallica fan and say I play bass and not know how to play the <laughs> intro to from the bell tolls. Like, come on now. That's why I just say I'm a perpetual entry-level bass player. <laughs> so I don't have that responsibility. <laughs> Fans not experts.